So when I was in elementary school, I, I got to sing in a couple of choirs, both church and school. And in one of those choirs, at some point in time, we sang a song about garbage in, garbage out. And that was a play on the computer term, Geigo. Now for your non-tech people like myself, although it's kind of hard to not throw a stone and not hit one of you around here, um, I'm going to give a definition from techterms.com just so we're all on the same page. Geigo is a computer science acronym that implies bad input will result in bad output. Because computers operate using strict logic, invalid input may produce unrecognizable output or garbage. For example, if a program asks for an integer and you enter a string, you may get an unexpected result. Similarly, if you try to open a binary file in a text editor, it may display unreadable content. It goes on, Geigo is a universal computer science concept, but it only applies to programs that process invalid data. Good program practice dictates that functions should check for valid input before processing it. A well-written program will avoid producing garbage by not accepting it in the first place. Requiring valid input also helps programs avoid errors that can cause crashes and other erratic behavior." End quote. So the song we sang about garbage in, garbage out in elementary school was actually a call to make sure that we took care of our brains. You see, the human brain is a remarkable thing. Created in the image of God, we have the ability to learn, to process, and to create beautiful things. No, we cannot create out of nothing, as God can, but we can, using the resources that He's provided, we are able to make great things and do great things. See, we have the ability to have cool air in the middle of Texas heat. We have motorized vehicles to get us around, jet engines to fly us through the air. We have sent people to space. We hold tiny computers in the palm of our hands, allowing us to connect with people around the world in an instant. Brilliant artists create masterpieces that help us enjoy life and even help us to remember important events in life. There are a host of other creations that we could mention. The human brain, coordinated with the abilities of the rest of the body, has allowed us in many ways to make life on earth better and more enjoyable. But the reality is if we do not take care of our brains, if we put bad stuff in, then we are going to get bad stuff out. And we're going to miss the opportunities to create and miss the opportunities to enjoy the amazing things that are right in front of us. And it is, it is possible that today, some of you are in that, in that situation. You're missing out on the good. You're missing out on the good, even though we are sitting here in one of the most prosperous places in the world. Gallup just did a recent uh, survey uh, about a month or so ago. Reporter Frank Miles from Fox wrote a brief uh, on the survey he says this, he says, a new survey has, been, has found that Americans are among the most negative people on the planet. Gallup's latest update on the world's emotional state reported that 55% of Americans said they experienced a lot of stress in 2018, one of the highest rates out of 143 countries polled and well above the global average of 35%. The U.S. trailed only Greece, 59%, the Philippines, 58%, and Tanzania, 57%, on the stress table and is tied with Iran, Albania, and Sri Lanka at 55%. The poll also reported that 45% of Americans said they felt worried a lot, and more than one in five, 22% of Americans said they felt angry a lot. According to, according to Gallup, the economy is not the problem, as the survey found the levels of negative emotions are even higher than during the Great Recession. 
The report also found that 64% of Americans aged between 15 and 29 said they were stressed a lot, and exactly 50% of Americans in that age group said they were worried a lot. The numbers were slightly higher among those aged between 30 and 49, with 65% in that cohort saying they were stressed a lot, and 52% saying they were worried a lot. 32% of Americans 15 to 29 said they were angry a lot in 2018, while 25% of Americans aged 30 to 49 said they were angry a lot last year. Now, I know that many of you listening today understand the hope of Jesus, and you actually live that out very well. You live well in joy. But just to check our hearts, because even the Apostle Paul, the, the one who was writing these letters, writing the, the letter to the Philippians, he had an attitude that he had not yet arrived to spiritual maturity. And so, my guess is that we have not either. So the question before you today, just thinking about yesterday, was it filled with anxiety or was it filled with hope? How do you answer? Perhaps you're in a situation where things are actually going pretty well for you right now. Life is going well. So the question then is, are you learning to bless the Lord with what he gives you? Be thankful for what he gives you so that you are able to bless him when he decides possibly to take it away. See, the Philippian Christians were exemplifying great faithfulness and generosity in their work of the gospel. They were doing well, fighting diligently to follow the Lord, yet Paul addressed the topic of anxiety and told them, do not be anxious. Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious about anything. About anything. Now, for clarity, the word used here for anxious can actually be both used positively and negatively. So to make sure we're clear in the definitions here, that we see the positive sense actually in Philippians 2.20. Paul writes this, For I have no one like him, he's speaking of Timothy, I have no one like him who will genuinely be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Timothy was concerned for the welfare of others. He cared. So it, this word depicted as anxious, can be used for concern, showing care for. However, in verse 4-6, that is not the meaning. It is instead a command to not be pulled apart. We are to not be pulled apart. Warren Wiersbe makes this observation in his commentary on Philippians. says, the Greek word translated anxious, careful, in verse 6 means to be pulled in different directions. Our hopes pull us in one direction. Our fears pull us in the opposite direction, and we are pulled apart. The old English root from which we get our word worry means to strangle. If you have ever really worried, you know how it does strangle a person. In fact, worry has definite physical consequences, headaches, neck pains, ulcers, even back pains. Worry affects our thinking, our digestion, and even our coordination. From the spiritual point of view, worry is wrong thinking in the mind, wrong feeling in the heart about circumstances, people, and things. Worry is the greatest thief of joy. Worry is the greatest thief of joy. Not long ago, you and I as a church got to walk through the Sermon on the Mount together. And if you remember, Jesus had comments on worry too. Reminder, Matthew 6, 25-30 says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? 
Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor weep nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of worth more value than they? Jesus continues, says, and which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Jesus is telling the disciples and those listening in that sermon that God has everything taken care of. Everything is taken care of. There is no need to worry. I like Pastor Kevin DeYoung's comments on the Matthew passage. He says this, he says, Worry and anxiety are not merely bad habits or idiosyncrasies. They are sinful fruits that blossom from the root of unbelief. Jesus doesn't treat obsession with the future as a personal quirk, but as evidence of little faith. Worry and anxiety reflect our heart's distrust in the goodness and sovereignty of God. Worry is a spiritual issue and must be fought with faith. We must fight to believe that God has mercy for today's troubles, and no matter what may come tomorrow, that God will have new mercies for tomorrow's troubles. He's referencing Lamentations 3, 22 through 23 that says this, that steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. His mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. See, because the Lord is faithful, because the Lord is faithful, He is dependable. And it is for our good that we heed the command and not be anxious. Do not be anxious about anything. But how? How is that possible? What do we do? We work through the anxious moments of life by leaning on Him, His strength, His stability, His love. We depend on the Lord and we go to Him in prayer. The rest of Philippians 4, 6 says, but in everything, in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. You see, Jesus, Jesus who did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, he faithfully went to the cross on your behalf and mine. And he's the one who offers life. And he's the one in whom we can trust. We sang the hymn, Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus, a few moments ago. We didn't sing this actual verse, but here's another verse that in that poem that says, Yes, tis sweet to trust in Jesus, just from sin and self to cease. Just from Jesus simply taking life and rest and joy and peace. Jesus is the one who gives life and rest and joy and peace. And it's sweet to trust in him, to depend on him. And in that dependence, in that dependence, we must ask. We must ask God for it is crucial that we ask him for help. Is it possible that you do not have peace because you do not ask him for peace? 
You see, instead of, instead of asking him for peace, sometimes we, we go after unwise counsel. Or we down the drinks. Or we look at the porn. Or we work harder in our flesh. Or any other vice you can think of. We, we go after these things because we want to take the pain away. But if we do it that way, then we will miss out on the opportunity for real peace. Too often in our flesh, this is exactly what we do. We, we chase after the wrong answers. We try to take care of the problem in the wrong way. You've got to notice that Paul did not say anywhere that pain was not pro- part of life, that problems weren't, weren't real, that he didn't claim that evil wasn't present all around us and that, and that life isn't scary. He did not claim that. He simply stated in the command to not worry about those things, to not worry, to depend on the Lord, to ask Him for help because asking God keeps us from spinning around aimlessly on the wheel of doubt. Building a life to last means standing firm on the immovable rock of Christ who alone can bring peace. The peace He brings is what we all long for. Yet even our powerful minds can't even quite intellectually grasp the marvelous peace of God. So as we ask God, we must ask God if we want help. And in our asking, we must, we must offer thanks. We must be thankful. For the psalmist even declares, Psalm 145, 10 through 12 says, All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. See, created in the image of God to do good works, we are to regularly thank Him because living in gratitude makes all the difference. See what I did there? But it's true. It makes all the difference. It changes everything. Being thankful before the Lord, and is, it changes everything. Now, we don't need anything besides the Scriptures to tell us the truth. But I want to show you um, a study, the results of a study on gratitude that I find fascinating. I'm going to read an article that was published a couple years ago by Drs. Joel Wong and Joshua Brown on a study that they did um, on gratitude. We read this. says, With the rise of managed health care, which emphasizes cost efficiency and brevity, mental health professionals have had to confront this burning question. How can they help clients derive the greatest possible benefit from treatment in the shortest amount of time? Recent evidence suggests that a promising approach is to complement psychological counseling with additional activities that are not too taxing for clients, but yield high results. In our own research, they say we, we have zeroed in on one such activity, the practice of gratitude. Indeed, many studies over the de- past decade have found that people who consciously count their blessings tend to be happier and less depressed. The problem is that most research studies on gratitude have been conducted with well-functioning people. If gratitude if, is gratitude beneficial for people who struggle with mental health concerns? And if so, how? We set out to address these questions in a recent research study involving nearly 300 adults, mostly college students who were seeking mental health counseling at a university. We recruited these participants just before they began their first session of counseling, and on average, they reported clinically low levels of mental health at the time. The majority of people seeking counseling services at this university in general struggle with issues related to depression and anxiety. They go on and says, we randomly assigned our study participants into three groups. Although all three groups received counseling services, 
The first group was also instructed to write one letter of gratitude to another person each week for three weeks. Whereas the second group was asked to write about their deepest thoughts and feelings about negative experiences. The third group did not do any writing activity. And they finish this so. It says, what did we find? Compare with the participants who wrote about negative experiences or only received counseling. Those who wrote gratitude letters reported significantly better mental health four weeks and 12 weeks after their writing exercise ended. This suggests that gratitude writing can be beneficial not just for healthy, well-adjusted individuals, but also for those who struggle with mental health concerns. In fact, it seems practicing gratitude on top of receiving psychological counseling carries greater benefits than counseling alone, even when that gratitude practice is brief. So if these doctors, if these doctors found in a small study that showing gratitude simply in writing a letter to someone can significantly improve one's mental health, how much more, how much more will taking every care to the Lord in thankfulness transform our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus? How much more? Well, the Apostle Paul actually answers that question. He answers the question. Verse 7 of Philippians 4 says, And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That guard term is a military term. It stands watch. The peace of God will stand watch and keep you able to be strong and hold you together. If you have ever diligently taken your anxious thoughts to the Lord, you've trusted his power and thankfulness in any circumstance before you, you likely have experienced his peace. Recently, a friend shared some gut-riching news with me. As I listened to him talk about the couple of weeks that had gone on prior to our conversation, I was blessed to hear him declare that in the midst of shocking news, he began to know God's peace. Let me read a little bit of what he said. I asked him to write his thoughts out. This is what he shared. He says, this spring our family discussed how fast the school year went by and how excited we were about our summer plans. While we hadn't yet scheduled our summer vacation, we had a general plan of visiting some of the great national parks in Utah and Arizona. Our plans changed when we learned the results of a biopsy Rhonda had in late April. It was breast cancer. We were shocked. We had prayed together often during the weeks leading up to this point, but, but the news itself was still incredibly shocking, and the, the actual word cancer made it all so real. But our faith didn't waver, and we continued to pray both individually and together. However, I felt a huge amount of anxiety, and I found it difficult to focus all the time. I was paralyzed with fear and could feel the tension throughout my entire body. It would hit me as soon as I woke up in the morning and stay with me until I went to sleep. I will wake up two and three times a night and immediately feel the anxiety, say a prayer and fall back to sleep. About a week later, I remember waking up at 4.03 a.m. and praying a bit differently. This time I asked God to specifically give both Rhonda and I peace, comfort, and understanding throughout this process. I told him I trusted that he was sovereign and that this journey we were on was his journey for us and his will. This very next time I woke up, the horrible, intense anxiety was gone and has not returned. All that anxiety and stress left my, body, left my body, and I recognized immediately that my prayer had been answered. Rhonda, as well, has had very specific prayers answered recently during this process. And he closes with this. We're not entirely sure how things will unfold in the coming weeks and months, 
but we do know that our Lord Jesus Christ is walking this journey with us. We still have short bursts of anxiety here and there, but it's quickly gone once we put our focus back on Christ. See, peace is possible. It is absolutely possible in the hardest moments of life. It is possible when we walk, when we ask the Lord in, him th in thankfulness for help to walk through the pressing matters of life which can make us anxious, he will bring us peace. He will, he promised it. He will bring us peace. But I know that even though we can listen to that, we can listen to that story, we can read the scriptures, we still have a hard time in the battle of our minds and our flesh, don't we? Because conflict is right in front of us constantly. If we really pay attention, conflict is right in front of us constantly and it's difficult. But we must remember that even though it doesn't make sense, it's possible because the peace that we're talking about is beyond our comprehension. It's of God, it's beyond our comprehension. So we have to make sure that we understand the battle before us. We, may, we have to understand that there is a conflict before us. We can't deny the conflict. J. Dwight Pentecost wrote a statement in his commentary on Philippians. I wanna make sure as we read a, a few statements about this conflict from him, this is from 1973, just keep that in mind as he wrote this. The day in which we live is a day of conflict. There are bitter, vocal conflicts in the political realm. There are conflicts in the international realm, Southeast Asia and in the Middle East. Nation after nation across the face of the earth is involved in civil war. There's conflict in the economic realm and our leaders are taking bold steps to try to solve the economic problems that face us as a nation. The social realm is divided by conflict. No matter into what area we venture, we find little rest and peace, tranquility and agreement. It is a day of conflict on every hand. He goes on. On the authority of the word of God, I submit to you that the greatest conflict being waged is not international, not political, not economic, and not social. The greatest conflict taking place in the world today is the battle for the control of our minds. The battle for the control of our minds. There is a battle waging. And if we are to fight in faith, we have to understand that that battle is there. And Paul continues his command on fighting anxiety with practical help. And he tells us to dedicate ourselves to good thinking. To dedicate ourselves to good thinking. Philippians 4 verse 8 says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. It's these things that we should think of. Real quick, Dr. Tom Constable defined these terms in his notes. Just want to walk through those real fast. True. What's true? What, it means valid, honest, and reliable. Honorable or noble means worthy of respect. Right refers to what is just and upright. Pure denotes cleanness, cleanness and connotes moral purity. Lovely means that what is amiable, agreeable, or pleasing of good repute or admirable refers to what is praiseworthy because it measures up to the highest standards. One of my favorite psalms is actually the very beginning in the collection. Psalm 1, 1 through 3. Blessed is man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. 
He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And his leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. See, when we take the richness of God's word and we meditate on the truth of it, we are able to be stable. And when we're stable, we're able to build lives that prosper. We are able to rejoice. Martin McDonald of our pulpit team had this quote. He said, we are able to rejoice because we have an internal hope that is not dependent on the happenings of this world. We are free to have the joy of Christ and to rejoice in all earthly circumstances, knowing that in Christ, all is good. In Christ, all is good. So for you this morning, what is it that is true? What is it that is honorable? What is it that is right and pure and lovely of good repute? What are those things that you should put in your mind right now, that you should name right now in your mind so that you can fight the battle in faith for the control of your mind so that you will be able to rejoice today no matter what yesterday had or no matter what this morning even had. So as we obey the command to not be anxious about anything, as we pray with thanksgiving to the Lord for help, as we seek to put good things in our brain, Paul adds one more action step in helping us rejoice and be useful to others. One more action step that he brings is that we need to do the right things. We need to actually do the right things. Philippians 4, 9 says, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. See, the Apostle Paul was a great example of the Philippians of all that he was calling them to do. A number of years before writing this, he had sat in a jail cell, and instead of leaving when the earthquake opened the doors, he stayed. And he stayed because he saved the life of the jailer. Not just physically, but spiritually because he got to share the hope of God's truth with him, of Jesus. And that jailer trusted in Christ. He fought for unity in the church. He called the believers to stick to the truth of the word of God and, and, and debunk the false teachers to, to stay away and, and, and refute them. He was willing to do whatever it took to share the gospel, and he exemplified the hope and trust in the Lord and the Lord's will as he declared. Philippians 1, 1, 1.21, he says, For to me to live as Christ and to die is gain. The Apostle Paul was the example to these people. For me to live as Christ and to die is gain. I'm alive because of Christ, and to die, if I die, then I get to go see him. So nothing else matters. See, the life that we've been given by God is actually pretty simple. It's not easy because we have to battle the flesh. There's conflict. We have to battle. But it is simple. See, Jesus declared that we're supposed to love God and love others. That's the simplicity of the whole truth of Scripture. That's how he summed up the commandments. Love God and love others. But we sometimes get stuck on what to do. Do the right thing. Just do the right thing. Follow Paul's example. Follow Jesus' example and love God and love others above yourself. See, it's possible for us to create anxiety in our minds because we forget that simple message and we make it more complicated. And also, we fight God on the simplest things because of our own convenience. Here's a telling one. Pentecost, again, this is a telling one of culture. Abortion, which is legalized murder, has been reassessed until it has become acceptable. Premarital and extramarital sex, so clearly forbidden by the word of God, have been reappraised until they have been accepted as normal. 
That's part of the conflict of our culture. Now, maybe those aren't the areas where you particularly struggle at this point in doing right. Maybe you have mastered those areas. But perhaps there is an area in your life to address. And I challenge you to ask the Lord for that help. And if I might, I would like to suggest one that that I think plagues a lot of brothers and sisters. One that I have been plagued with in my life and have been fighting with the Lord about and learning from Him over the years. And that is finding the will of God for your life. Finding the will of God for your life. You see, He's actually given the revealed will to us. He's already given it to us. He's told us what to do. He's told us how to live, how to care, how to think. But too often we neglect to simply follow what he told us and we said we look for a mystical sign from God in order to figure out where to work, how to serve in the church, and how to care for our neighbors. I can attest that living this way is exhausting and does not bring peace. Fortunately, the Lord has been teaching me over the years, learning to trust him, learning to walk with him in confidence, and living out the simple commands to learn to love him and learn to love others. I like uh, what Kev, Pastor Kevin DeYoung says about this as well. He says, the way many Christians treat God's will is no different than you might treat a horoscope. We come to God and want to know, is the job market good for Kevin today? Will I find my true love? Should I live in states that start with the letter A? Our fascination with the will of God often betrays our lack of trust in God's promises and provision. We don't just want his word and word that he will be with us. We want him to show us the end from the beginning and prove to us that he can be trusted. We want to know what tomorrow will bring instead of being content with simple obedience on the journey. And so we obsess about the future and we get anxious because anxiety, after all, is simply living out the future before it gets here. Let me read that again because anxiety, after all, is simply living out the future before it gets here. See, we must do the right things. We must trust God will take care of us, and we simply need to follow Him to know what He says to do from His Word, and that is to love God and love others. Love God and love others. I read this a few moments ago. Geigo is a universal computer science concept, but it only applies to programs that process invalid data. Good programming practice dictates that functions should check for valid input before processing it. A well-written program will avoid producing garbage by not accepting it in the first place. Requiring valid input also helps programs avoid errors that can cause crashes and other erratic behavior. If you wonder why some Americans are becoming one of the more negative people groups across the world as their lives are crashing while engaging in erratic behavior, perhaps it is because they are consistently putting garbage into their minds and their hearts. Church, it should not be so among you and I. It should not be so among you and I. We should put good in so that we get good out. We should put good in so that we get good out. And when you and I put good in, we get good out. If I do that, if I in my life work diligently to, to not be anxious but to trust the Lord and thank Him and to, and to put the good truths of God's Word in my heart, and if you do that too, if we do that together, guess what happens? We get to rejoice together. We get to care for one another. And then we get to go out and offer peace to those who are in desperate need of it. 
I want to share a little video of a musician I found that I really like watching. This is Juzzy Smith. He's an Australian musician. This is a few minutes long, so just bear with it. It's worth it, I promise. But this is him introducing his band members. Let's watch the clip. So the first member of my one-man band <laughs> is my right hand. sets up the groove for the whole song. Because when it connects to its brother, the left hand, the groove just gets groovier. And if they get my body rocking, that's a good thing. Gonna send that rhythm down to my left foot, which gets my beats. And then one day I realized I had a right leg as well. So the other member said, if you can play the two and four beat, you are higher, so it did. to introduce you to the last member featuring my lips <laughs> my little pocket buddy the harmonica which sounds like this think that's cool you might be dead I could watch that all day and I have to confess I watched it a lot this week <laughs> as the people of God we should meditate on the words of his scriptures we should take every thought to him in prayer with thanksgiving and rejoice because in him we have already won we've already won there is much to rejoice about and we should work diligently to be joyful, to not be anxious about anything. My prayer is that we focus on the good and know the peace of God. 
Because when I know the peace of God, when you know the peace of God, we can work together as a body and create amazing things together and help others to be joyful as well. Let's pray. Almighty God, you are good. You love us dearly. And we are thankful for that truth. You are so good that you offer us peace in the midst of all the conflict of life, all the sickness, all the battles, all the heartaches. You offer us peace if we simply go after you and trust you because you are bigger. You are bigger. You control the wind and the waves. You control and orchestrate life around us and we can trust you and I ask that you would help us to focus on you so that we can know that peace. We can know that peace so that we can live in such a way as joyful fellowship, community together so that we will be known by those in the world that we belong to you and that they may want the peace that we have because we are learning to live it out. In Jesus' name, amen.